Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Baratunde Thurston and I'm very excited about this. I asked him to be on years ago. I've been a fan for so long uh, of his work and what he does. Baratunde is sort of a futurist, a comedian, uh, an educator. He basically just deals with interesting ideas in complicated ways. I feel like he is the the sort of perfect guest for Tea with Alice and also I like him as a person. We've worked together um, on The Bugle and uh, I, I, I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. I also hope that I, the fact that I'm a massive fangirl didn't come across too strongly but I am going to let you listen to the episode without spending too much time generalised plugging. My Tickets for Adelaide Fringe Festival and Melbourne Comedy Festival are now on sale. That's the 28th of February to the 4th of March for Adelaide and then Melbourne Comedy Festival in its entirety. So if you want to see me there, my show will be called Twist. And also patreon.com slash Alice Fraser funds this podcast. So if you want to support what I do, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser is a one-stop shop for all of my stand-up specials, which you get there for free, my podcasts, my blogs, my weekly Tea with Alice salons, and my weekly writers' meetings. Um, So if that's something you're interested in, cool. If not, no pressure. Uh, Of course, uh, you listening to this podcast supports it, sharing it with your friends, and talking about it where and when you can um, is very, very helpful. Now, into the podcast. I'll talk to you next week. You're having tea with Alice. Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Who are you and what are you drinking? I am Baratunde Thurston and I'm drinking chamomile tea. Oh, interesting. I, that makes me go to sleep immediately. (laughs) I'm a lightweight when it comes to like the effects of tea, I think. Yeah, yeah. It will knock me out within half an hour. I'll just be asleep. I had green tea earlier today, but it's too late in my day. It's uh, 4.30 in the afternoon here in Los Angeles, and I've got uh, more things to do, but I don't want to be up all night. So I'm like herbal tea, and it was the fastest thing I could put my hands on. I also do have a little cup of mezcal, but that's for later. That's for later. I, that, I like that you've got it all lined up in chronological order. You know, I like to prepare my beverages in batches. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that as, as a policy. I, I tend to, unless it's cold, like iced tea or green tea, I'll have that in the fridge. I tend yeah. to prefer to roll spontaneously. Um, <laughs> Good. That is a lie. I have been known, if I know that I have a bunch of work coming up, yeah. I have been known to like bulk order bubble tea. You like bubble uh, tea, Alice? I like uh, plain green tea, no sugar, with like the white pearls, the one that's uh, made of like seaweed. Okay. And maybe some red bean, which is my version of like as healthy as you get yeah. with bubble tea. And I, I like to have it first thing in the morning. But no bubble tea shops are open until like 11.30 a.m. for whatever reason that is. Criminal. Um, they think of it as a late night beverage. <laughs> <laughs> but it's clearly the thing you want in the morning is like bit of sugar, bit of caffeine, yeah. get moving. The, the little, you know? the, the balls, the little tapioca balls in the bubble tea, they get all stuck in my like, yeah, yeah. teeth. And then now, yeah. now I'm like fighting my teeth and I need floss or like a toothpick. And I don't want to think about flossing and tea drinking and like have that correlated. So it's just a very frustrating, it's a beverage that you chew. Yeah, see, no, I don't go with the tapioca balls because oh, also you oh. can't pre-order those because they don't last overnight. They only last a few hours. See, so you're thinking in, in batches too. All right. <laughs>
So what have you been wrestling with recently? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> There's a list on this. One of the things on that list is uh, I, I was until quite recently wrestling with do I care at all uh, about the British royal family? <sighs> and I just felt like tugged for years to try to give a damn. And I finally relented and I started caring and I started investing time and I watched like Meghan and Harry's documentary series and I'm reading Harry's book and I'm at the part with the penis and I'm like in it. I'm really in it. And I wrote a whole piece for uh, this uh, news outlet that I work with, Puck, uh, just this week, like going in. I am a subscriber to Puck. I enjoy it very much. Yeah. Yeah. So check out, check out that. And just if you had asked me a year ago or any point in my life before two months ago, if I would ever like write hundreds of words about any British royal anybody, I'd be like, no, there's there's no chance ever. I am not at all interested. So yeah, my policy was always like, why should I care about some yeah. actor from a show I don't watch marrying Meghan Markle? <laughs> but yeah, I I, I I I find myself invested in this kind of end of an empire struggle, like the the sun is setting. Yes them as metaphor they they are such an opportunity they are a missed opportunity they are the thing that they want to not be um i think they've like escaped narnia or that island and lost or the upside down or whatever kind of version of hell um that that you want to imagine like they kind of got out of it but paying a high price so i think it actually has value <laughs> you know I, I have found value in it and yeah I, I'm just now like okay with it, but it's it was it's been hard. Well, I find myself very attracted to people who have left yeah. cults. Yeah, like I had a lot of friends who were sort of ex Mormons mm. and things, and that kind of huge leap of self, um, I don't know what it is, self confidence, self assurance that means that you are willing to yeah. leave your family. You know, sometimes that's the sacrifice you have to make of your family. To, in order yeah. to tell the truth, in order to live genuinely, in order to stop. If you don't believe this thing, mm -hmm. you're not going to keep lying about it when the easy path would be to lie about it, would be to say, I do still believe, because who cares yeah. who's checking in on you? If you don't believe in a God, then surely there's no mm. punishment for lying. But to have that, yeah, I don't know what it is, assurance that goes, yes, this is the right thing to do. I find that a very attractive quality in a person also having being able to think your way out yeah. of a paper bag is a very attractive quality the escape from cult the willingness to speak a painful truth and one that you know hurts you to tell is also like a part of it and and there's just this emergence happening with with harry with both of them but now that i'm reading his book i'm deeper into his story and just like he was born under so much. He was born under a history of empire, under colonialism, under inbreeding, like under yeah. Buckingham Palace and, and, and then under media scrutiny and under celebrity culture and under social media and under paparazzis and, and the financial incentives for all of that stalking, which is really what it seems to me to be. Uh, and so that he's like humanizing celebrities for me uh and then you know but some of his journey was also especially on the racial front um only possible because of megan you know i think he would yeah. only have gone so far but then she helped bring him like that last step to really get out of the cult 
and and he chose you know his family he didn't want the thing about his mom repeated and there there's it's a little tragic but it's also a hella romantic and it's like yeah. this man standing by his woman this white guy saying like i wasn't aware of the racism but now that i am i can't stand for it and i this is my family and i will defend my family and my child and it's it's a level of acknowledgement historically that like any symbol of colonialism has never been willing to acknowledge uh yeah so i find it fascinating that I, I see some people who are not willing really to forgive him because his recognition of the racism of the whole system yeah came only as a result of his romantic interest and his personal mm. interest I'm, I'm not sure if i entirely i don't i'm not sure if i agree with that i sort yeah. of think you can't expect people to see themselves really i i, I know that's what we want, we want people yeah. to be able to think their way out of their own circumstances and see the unfairness of their own privilege. And I just, I just don't think that's how people work necessarily. I think you can mm. ask them to do it, but yeah, the the whole educate yourself thing. Yeah, I don't. I like that as an idea, but mm -hmm. I don't think it's necessarily realistic because people don't educate themselves. That's what education is. It's other people, and if you want to change the world, yeah. Someone has to do it. Someone has to do the work. And it's not fair. Definitely. It's not right. No, no. I, but you can't just <laughs> let someone loose on the internet and expect them to understand what's right and wrong. That's exactly right. I was um, in San Francisco last week speaking to a small group of folks. And it was mostly white people. It was mostly CEOs. In fact, everybody in the room was a CEO. That's how you got into the room. And wow. uh, there, was, there was one black person in the room. And he asked me about you know the fatigue of being the person that has to do all this educating and this explaining yeah. and this empathizing and this understanding and this handholding. And so to him, I said, look, you don't always have to do it. And it is okay to take a damn break. Uh, in some ways I've signed up for it. I wrote a book, how to be black. I have a podcast, how to citizen. I'm trying to like literally teach how to, right? So it's yeah. hard for me to run from it, but not everybody signs up for that. And, and I'm, I'm remembering, you know, I had this argument slash discussion with a white friend years ago on a different podcast. And I was like, look, I'm tired. I'm done. White people, like, it's your turn. Figure it out. We've left many clues. Like, they're not even clues. They're just the answer. We've just left yeah. the answer all over the place in the form of the blues, in the form of, like, political tracks, <laughs> in the form of hip-hop, in the form of James Baldwin and Audre Lorde. And, and so at every educational level, at every linguistic sophistication, visual, audio, and textual, the answer is out there. So just go. And he said, listen, man. Um, he didn't say listen, man. But in his own way, he said, that sounds great. I empathize with your fatigue. But if you leave it to white people by ourselves, we will mess this up. We, uh, you've seen what we've done. You've seen what we're capable of. It's, it'd be behoove you to have you know, some of you around to, to help out with that. And, and that's exhausting. Um, there's this painful truth that I don't like acknowledging, it's another wrestling point, that like the oppressed must often prioritize the feelings of the oppressor in order to secure their own liberation. And that can feel like a trap, but there's a lot of truth to it, yeah. So the way I think about it is I have this very strong, clear memory of mm. the last time my dad carried me out of the car. 
you know, when you're a kid yeah. and you're coming home late and you're sort of half asleep. Yeah. And your parents yeah. pick you up. I remember those. And they yep. carry you inside. And I remember the first time that didn't happen, that my mm. dad opened the door and the car light came on and I had my eyes closed because I knew what was going to happen next. And my dad said, you're too heavy. You have to walk. <laughs> Ouch. And I did not think, I did not think, ah, being carried out of the car is a privilege that most <laughs> people in the world throughout most of history have not had. I didn't think, yeah. oh, it's good. You know, I'm very heavy. My father <laughs> is not required to carry me. And, yeah. and now my time is at an end of this, having this privilege and I, I'll walk like, <laughs> like everyone else. I thought, how fucking dare you <laughs> <Yes>. pick me up? <laughs> This is your, you have one job, daddy, <laughs> and it's to pick me up out of the car, yeah. The fury that I felt in that moment. Yeah, you felt oppressed and abandoned, probably. <laughs> yeah, and that's it, you know, this this, this having a privilege withdrawn and yeah. having a privilege that is invisible to you, mm -hmm. suddenly drawn to your attention. Actually, this isn't a thing that I'm entitled to, it's a something that you always sort of just felt was ha the process of the how things are. This is justice, you yeah. know. I'm uh, the Alice. I get carried out of the car. Consistency is not an indication of, of justice, you know. Yes, and, and, and coming to terms with that. And I, yeah. I just, you know, it was just a week ago. No. Uh, <laughs> Your dad's a good man. Good man. It was, it was a, a real moment in my life. I think it was probably the first time that I had anything like that kind of reckoning of... Yeah. of of having something that I expected taken away and realizing that it wasn't something that I deserved to expect. Mm -hmm. And you just described, uh, you know, the collapse of the British Empire, right? Well, like you just, they're like, wait, we have to do this on our own? Yeah, it's the shame as well, <laughs> coming to terms with the shame that you never deserved it. Yeah, yeah. And and then the, the self-doubt of, can I do it? Yeah. Right, if you've had... You know, it's going back farther, if you've had enslaved people in your employment, quote unquote, can I bring in this crop? Can I feed my own child? Can I care for my own child? Can I cook this meal? Can I keep this job? Can I maintain this revenue, this income? Can I look at myself the same? Am I who I am without this extraction from someone or something else? What if the answer is no? What if yeah. the answer is you don't get civilization without, whether it's women or mm -hmm. people of color or the people who you just conquered or, you know, it's not, you know, there's nothing unique to whiteness or blackness yeah. that is inherently oppressive. It's, it's I have people. a friend who's an archaeologist <laughs> who basically said that the dominance, her theory is that the dominance of Europe at the time when these kind of technologies were coming forward was entirely almost entirely due to the Black Plague. Mm. So her theory is that, I, I think it's quite fun. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't even know how to question the theory because I don't have the knowledge. But her theory is that I think like 50% of the, of the population of, of working men basically evaporated. Okay. And so you had these two incentives, one towards technology and the second was towards rights for workers because mm. they suddenly were scarce. So... Those two things together meant that you had this burgeoning of technology and communications technology and travel technology and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's why the white man became dominant at that time. There is something special about timing and yes, the, the marriage of timing with experience. Uh, there's a, 
a really cool thinker, psychologist, um, writer, healer person, Resma Menachem. He has a book out called My Grandmother's Hands. I first heard him on a podcast and I joined him on his. And he talks about white supremacy, which he calls white body supremacy, because it's really about the primacy of this human form, this body huh. over other bodies. Um, and he planted the seed that I've not been able to dislodge, that the plague and the Middle Ages in particular set the stage for this racialized dominance. And you had people coming out of Europe after having been defenestrated and disemboweled and tortured and abused in the deepest levels, never dealt with that, right? Never, like, didn't get therapy, didn't, didn't go on an ayahuasca journey, you know, didn't process these wounds and, and took those out and, and wounded the world in turn. And there's maybe a marriage of these theories. There's the, the extra hustle, right? The technological need for speed and greed plus unprocessed trauma that allows you to at scale do levels of dehumanization and resource extraction and destruction that we just hadn't seen in a really, like we've had slavery. We didn't have this version of it, this hereditary thing, this chattel property thing was actually innovation, you know, in, in dehumanization. So I, I subscribe to that, yeah. Yes, when people talk about slavery as part of human history, you know, things like the way that the Vikings kept slaves was very different yeah. from chattel slavery. You know, yeah. you, you'd sort of pillage somebody's village and then there was like a process and, and, and you know, the, for example, Roman slavery, you could buy your way out, you mm -hmm. could earn your freedom. Often there were, you know, there were different definitions, I think, from what we would understand. Yeah, yeah, they were. And in America, you know, we took it to a whole nother level, right? And, you know, so you're, you're born into it. You're, you're taking the, ripping the families apart. The industrialization. Exactly. That's, and that's what this country that I'm in and from, we turn things up to 11. We scale, right? We really know how to deploy these things en masse. And, uh, and sometimes what we're deploying is just accelerated self-destruction. Yes. And now what we've managed as yeah. as western countries is outsourcing so you don't have mm -hmm. to look the people who are serving you in the face anymore right you can right. just get cheap undies yeah so anyway <laughs> uh harry's penis is really interesting uh, <laughs> to listen to and, and and he talks about it <laughs> I, I think i understand why he's done it but it's very it's sad for me to see the public reaction being so negative because i'm like i don't think people are reading this book this is, this is dope uh, this dude's, he's, he's doing the thing. He's looking back. He's processing. He's reintegrating a lot of these painful moments and making sense of them. And Why uh, do you think growing. that the reaction is negative? I think we, um, as someone who has been intolerant of folks with a lot of resources, I identify with the desire to not want to see their whole humanity. It's like boo-hoo rich boy. Okay, great. So you have you had issues with your dad. So you, so your mom died when you were young. It's happened to a lot of people. You know, you, you also have like access to millions of dollars and you're living in Montecito or wherever and you're friends with Oprah. So I think you're going to be okay, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I, I do get that. And I think there's a lot of folks who are just dealing with their own stuff and don't want to extend 
the empathy to someone they see uh, as having always been lifted out of the car, you know, throughout their whole lives. And like, you have it so much easier than so many people. I'm just not going to extend that consideration to you. You'll be okay. Uh, I, I think that's a missed opportunity for, for those of us who think that way. But I think that for me, that explains a big part of it. And then the other, and this was what I got humble about. I was exhausted about hearing about Megan and Harry, Harry and Megan, H&M, whatever, has and Maz. I, I was just done. <laughs> yeah. And, and when I watched their Netflix thing, it only then clicked. Like, I've never actually heard from them. I've heard about them from everybody else i've heard little clips and interviews maybe mostly i've just been exposed not nearly to the degree of someone living in the uk or or you know britain specifically to all the tabloid noise about them but i'm just like okay if you're just like primed over and over again to think of these people as entertainment as dolls as rich as excessive constantly then why would you care you've been told a thousand times a day for 20 years that they're not real and that yeah, this is it's normal to treat people like this. And so I was like, oh, I maybe, I am tired of hearing about them. I don't know if I can say I'm tired of hearing from them. I, I barely have until the past two months. Well, that's a particularly, mo- well, I don't know if it is a particularly modern thing, actually. It's probably more old fashioned that you, because you're hearing it about things now at such a level of abstraction. Yeah. Often now, often I will find out about something by encountering the reaction to the reaction to it. <laughs> yes. It's that somebody's like calculus sort of ex- or something. Yeah. <laughs> somebody's explaining why people are reacting in this yes. way and they don't agree with the people who are reacting in this way. And then you sort of have to do this detective thing to trace it mm-hmm. back to the actual incident. What happened, yes. <laughs> and who is reacting in what way will shape the way that you react to it, that you yeah. think, well, I'm like these people, so mm-hmm. I'm more likely to react in this way. You kind of have pre-reacted before you encounter. And that's an extraordinary thing. And there's so many more things happening all the time, like everything, everywhere, all at once. There's there's a tragedy, there's a shooting, there's an earthquake, there's a a brush fire, there's something going on with the space station. Elon just fired 100,000 people, then hired back 20. Like we only have time for the outermost ring of information. And so we're just going to hear that reaction to the reaction to the reaction and go through our little identity algorithm. Well, people who kind of seem like me are saying this, so I guess that's what I believe, and not take the time to dive in to the original incident, to the thing that created the ripple in the first place. It's a lot of work to do that, and we are overwhelmed. So this is a really interesting thing. You've got a higher profile than I do. I feel like I'm in this really comfortable place mm. where you look comfortable. I, yeah. Thank you. I feel like I'm in a comfortable place where very few people know me who don't know me through my work. Yeah. So if people have an opinion about me, 99 times out of 100, it's because they either like my work or they don't like my work. I've not reached that point and I kind of hope I never do. I just want to be uh, influential or famous enough that I'm allowed to keep making interesting things, basically. But yeah. I don't want to reach that level where, like now, I if somebody who I don't like likes something, I I don't want people to have opinions about me who because somebody else they don't like likes me. If you know, yeah. do you know? But I feel like you're beyond that 
you don't want to become like a meme. <laughs> you don't want to become yeah. a, a, a test, you know, a, one of those block tests where it's like how you feel about ah, this phrase, it means you're a good or bad or you're a true or a false version of this thing. Uh, we, we can project. It's one of the reasons why I don't like gender discourse or being mm. identified with a gender or kind of anything. I don't like being identified with anything because I don't want to be a proxy for somebody's yeah, feelings about a group. I don't want to be a representative of something else. I just would like to be taken on my own terms. And of course, none of us are, but that's kind of what I want. You aspire to that. Yeah, that sounds great. You are an educator. You're a public figure. You're kind of beyond that tipping point where people would know of you who don't who've never heard you speak. Mm. How do you negotiate that? I, wow, I don't actually think of myself that way, but I might be farther along uh, than what you've described as far as where you are. I look out and I, I, people know me through my work. There's some people, I guess, who've heard of me, but have never interacted with my stuff, but that's really small. I'm not, I'm not an avatar. I'm not a proxy. I'm not a meme. Not yet. I haven't been on like a hit television show. I think that helps. Yeah. I haven't had a moment of glorious or inglorious massive infamy. Uh, I've never, you know, gotten to a Twitter fight with Ted Cruz or, or Donald <laughs> Trump or Elon Musk, which are other ways to achieve that, yeah. uh, or Kanye West. And I don't want to. You know, there there was actually someone a few months ago advising, you know, gave me a little piece of unsolicited advice, and they're like. You should like go at Elon on Twitter because maybe he'll respond to you and then that'll get you like a lot more awareness and attention. Oh, what a nightmare. And I was like, I mean, there are people, that's their strategy. Like you want to get into, you want to date a celebrity, you want to troll a celebrity, you want to go to, but you want to hit your, get your hooks in to their attention stream so that you can ride that stream for your own benefit. It just comes with the wake of so much bullshit. And like, I don't want the hopped up, angry, hyper masculine, you know, crushed inner nerd dudosphere of Elon Musk <laughs> to be the reason that more people know of me without knowing me. That's, yeah. that's a real big downside. That's a high risk move. Um, and so I actually, like you, I think I've, I feel relatively understood. I feel relatively like... Ex, you know, safely exposed in, in that regard. There were, I've had moments, there, there was a right wing high profile person some years back who picked, who singled out something that I did on Twitter and a mob came in and like destroyed my internet life for a couple of days. And then they receded and they moved on to the next target. I, I had a moment where Alex Jones's uh, podcast, they featured something I wrote in their blog and that came with a wave of psychosis <laughs> and threat and hate and like racist noise but it quickly receded i've i've been lucky compared to women i know who are less famous but say things that make men angrier than i do and and some of that stuff has required law enforcement intervention wow um, yeah so whatever i'm doing i want to keep doing that version of it it's working out all right there's a an article by that chap who did the four-hour work week what's his name tim ferris Tim Ferriss, yeah. yeah. I, I don't really follow his stuff, but I read this article because it was really interesting yeah. that he had a, um, a fan who had killed themselves mm. and sent him a video, basically their final words, their final thoughts were off Jeez. him. And he was reflecting on this. It's a very traumatic 
for him event, yeah. someone who'd never heard of him, who clearly had this parasocial relationship with him and was thanking him and all of this stuff. And the, the, the insight that he had that I thought was interesting was you're kind of, as your sphere of influence expands, the more people you touch, the more likely you are to touch someone who is on the edge. Yeah. Who is, and it's not you, it's them, mm-hmm. but you're just more likely to be that catalyst for someone. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't take it personally because and you then, don't know. Yeah. That's so, I'm glad you brought that up. It reminds me that the opposite direction should also be true. You know, I have a television program in the States called America Outdoors. It's on our PBS public TV system. It's had one season. It's about to have a second. Hey. And I've gotten a lot of mail messages, digital bits you know around this show overwhelmingly positive and the story i'm about to tell you is a very positive one but it was intense someone found me on instagram or some other zuckerbergian outpost (laughs) and uh found their way into my dms and they were like thanking me for saving their life it's like the inverse of the tim ferris story they're like i was just i was going through a really rough thing and then i saw you like sitting in the forest and it just like brought me back and you know you're a black man and i'm a black man and it was like you have no idea what you did for me brother like thank you so much and i was like whoa that's like do i want to carry that do i want to fully accept that as a responsibility i am grateful for this person i am glad that i happened to be on the screen <laughs> when they got what they needed you know through me but if I, I have to be very careful to not then like internalize that as that's my mission. That is my, I am here to save people. I think you can take the compliment without taking the responsibility. Yeah, but it's, there is, uh, to me, there is something on both sides in terms of there is a, a happenstance or a coincidentalness to it. And there's humility required on both ends. Like I, people choose you because they're aware of you. Um, and that that's a part of the mix. And and yeah, obviously the show is amazing. You know, it's a life-saving show. Everybody watch the show. It'll save your life. But that's not, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of slippery. It's kind of slippery to get that uh, self-important, I guess. I mean, it is such a cool I- idea for a show. Basically, yeah. you're becoming uh, America's David Attenborough. Uh, <laughs> but I do more active stuff. You know, I'm out ah. there in the kayak, I'm surfing, I'm climbing, I'm fishing. Hey, 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 you haven't seen early Attenborough clips where he's like walking up to people holding spears and being like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got to rewind the tape. He's been doing this much, much longer. I should put a little more respect on David's name. Thank you. Um, are you a surfer? Uh, rare, on occasion. I'm an appreciator of the surfing arts. And I've had some great moments in my life where surfing became a part of my life and it was really beautiful and uh helped shift my perspective on life actually it's kind of a spiritual activity surfing you're riding a wave that started miles and miles and miles maybe continents away um and you're not really in charge you you can't resist the ocean but you can ride it and you can try to channel it and you can be in flow with it and that metaphor is really useful when I feel like overwhelmed by forces greater than me. And it's like, okay, I could try to just like all by myself 
hold this tide back, hold this wave back, or I can get out the way, or I can get on the surface and, and float on the top, or I can dive under it, right? But there's, there's some other approach besides like a direct resistance mode. That's been yeah. useful from surfing. That's what stayed with me more than the skill of surfing. You, you can't fight a wave and you can't fight a baby. Those are the two <laughs> great lessons of but life. But you can dive under the baby. Right? You can or, dive under the baby. Or you can float on top of the baby. You just, you can't confront the baby head on. That's you can't fight a baby. They're not afraid to hurt themselves and you're <laughs> afraid to hurt them. That's. Yeah. It's all, it, unfair. Unfair. Also, they'll poop in your hands, you know. They'll throw up in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe the theme of our conversation, if I can kind of impose a retrospective logic on what yeah, was not a very it. logical conversation on my part, and I apologize, it's um, perspective, right? Yeah. Anything that can shift your perspective is useful, that you can change whether it's the level of abstraction or whether it's the, the, the point of view. Mm-hmm whether it's seeing something from outside yourself or, um, yeah, taking a, taking a step to the side, I think is kind of, it's a thing that I have been wrestling with, is mm. as we get more focused on identity, I like it. I like that people are focusing on identity, that these things are being drawn out and, and, and paid attention to the ways in which how other people see you can change how you can operate in the world. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I really resent it. Tell me um, about the resentment. One of my least favorite things is someone going, oh, I'm running a girls' comedy night. You want to get on it? I don't want to be identified by virtue of my bits. I would like to be identified by, by virtue of my comedy. Like yeah. I've got a good comedians night for good comedians. Come, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> operating in my content. Like I'm not here yeah. as a. I, I I used to work with a man who was of a very religious um, group, and he wouldn't look at me, and he wouldn't shake my hand. He wouldn't shake the hands of any women. I was like, I'm here as your colleague. I'm not here as a as a woman. I I should have mm. control over this. It shouldn't for me. If I were to tell you the 10 things that I find most interesting about myself, my sex is not in that top 10. Yeah, yeah. Even though I just had a baby. Like, it's just not that relevant to me. And so I resent it when somebody puts it higher on their list of priorities or assumes that it's higher on my list of priorities. Yeah. And I feel like I also mistrust the ways in which we are being sold our own identities, that, that we're being asked to identify ourselves. Maybe mm -hmm. this is like the Jewish side of me that's a little bit mistrustful of like, step forward, identify yourself, list the things about <laughs> yourself that we can then Fill categorize you form. by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mistrust that of like, yeah. yeah, put yourself forward, identify yourself, papers please. It, it, creep, it creeps me out, I think. Yeah. So I'm conflicted, I think. I, I, I go back and forth between being like, yeah, you be you, you do you. And then like, is mm -hmm. that you? Is that the thing about you? Is that the only thing about you? Is that the interesting thing about you? Maybe it is. I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm at that point, I think. I identify with, with many parts of that. And I certainly, I hear you on all of that. 
you're there's a deeper wrestling that you that this is reminding me of and i think about um you know racial identity in some similar ways and i've proudly and continue to proudly self-identify as black as african-american uh among other descriptors that could apply to me well-bearded uh being very well very very proud of but the the baggage and the there's some limitations that come with the identity labels that i'm trying to like wriggle out of and and stories attached to them and especially with being black in america it's it's a story of like victim suffering struggle pain enslavement like adds a lot of impressions you know <laughs> built up over many lifetimes uh possibly of like less you know, deficit lack and i was like i don't and also you know if i if my existence is got to be defined in opposition again it's that surfing that resistance thing to some oppressive factor then i'm still bound actually yeah it's not like the total freedom i want to experience yeah it's and like rebelling so, against your parents only by doing the thing that would make your parents angry to massively oversimplify it yeah and like i only know I'm me by fighting you. You know, I don't actually know what I want. Yeah. I just know it's not you. And so all of my boundaries are actually the shape of you. Yes. And and that's a that's a conundrum. Um because I I will not go so far as to say like oppression and racism are figments of my perception and imagination. No. But I do need to find other ways to define myself that go beyond the not <laughs> the anti this this other force and and have space to discover what am i when i'm not thinking about freaking racism <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of fun to really play with and a different level of freedom um i've been wrestling with that one yeah yeah that is the wrestle that is, yeah that, <laughs> i mean that at the core of it who who am yeah. i do i only exist in reaction or yeah. where, where can I be active? Where can I actually make a decision that isn't just a reaction? Yeah. Where can I not pass on inherited traumas? Where mm -hmm. can I check myself? Where can I, you know, obviously I now have a one-year-old. I am dealing with that every day. You know, where is this a choice? And your one-year-old is dealing with you every yeah. day. Yes, what what am I giving her? What are the things that I'm now passing on to her mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about what it is to be a person? And how much choice do I have as well? Because yeah. you can feel sort of helpless in light of your inputs, I think. Well, so, all right, Alice, let's go one step further. Yeah. <laughs> the inputs is what unlocked this next level of the game for me. Uh, I've been thinking about my inputs, my mother, the, the, the things she helped plant in me, some purposeful, some inadvertent, and uh, see recognizing things I wouldn't see before. You know, I just had a real simple image. Good, wonderful, saintly parent, basically. Not true. Like, not all the truth. Not the whole Never truth true. and nothing but the truth, right? Yes. And so, okay, we complicate that picture, and she's got these missing pieces, and she didn't, she wasn't taught something hard to teach, which you were never taught. And so I found a bit of 
grace and liberation and just basically letting my deceased mother like be a, a full person in my own image of her. And that was hard. Uh, that was really a struggle for a couple of years. And now I'm through the, the roughest of that. And I'm appreciating even more. Um, there's, there's a person I want you to, to take a look at who helped give me some of the, the map yeah. to kind of trace this, this path. Her name's Dr. Sam Rader. And she um, did psychology for 18 years. And now she's gone past that to another kind of healing mode. She was frustrated by some of the limitations in psychology or the, 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 the dogma of it. And just kept seeing this pattern of like these core wounds, these core patterns that emerge in us. She's identified 12 of them that are our coping styles, right? And it's how we learn to make sense of and to survive some early childhood things. And we recognize that and then they have their antidote. We're not trying to like crush them. We're like, thank you style for everything you did for me. You got me through high school, you know what I mean? But now, you know, I'm a, I think I'm an adult. And I don't really need that stuff anymore, right? I'm going to put that stuff down and emerge into an antidote style. And now that you're, you know, well into your parenting path too, I think there may be some extra utility value for you and kind of see in that framework and not freaking out over every little thing you do with your child, knowing that you're going to plant some things that they're going to have to cope with, but also having a little more perspective and distance on how you might help them with that that part too um, so that it's not when they're 40 you know and you're not around as much or at all that they figure this out on their own so this is really interesting i'm i'm sort of trying to figure out how to write my solo show for this year yeah. um because obviously i've been spending 98 percent of my time doing this one thing but i don't want to do a mum show for mums I would like to write a show about being a parent that a 19-year-old yeah. boy in the audience can listen to, that can relate to, or that, that a that a 56-year-old woman who wanted children but couldn't is not going to be traumatized by, like something obviously yeah. very ambitious, but I would like to be able to talk about the things that I think are interesting. And I find it most, at the moment, really useful to think of parenting as like art mm. that it's sort of like it's like painting on water or drawing a city to scale in biro that you're making these tiny you sort of can't control how it's coming out but, yeah. but you're, you are making a contribution you're making a difference mm -hmm. but they're building themselves as much as you're building them but it, there's this yeah. process to it and 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 the but the way you approach it is almost as important as what you do. And that helps me, I think, to kind of deal with it, I think. Yeah. That it's constant, that it's laborious, that it's but it's craft at the same mm -hmm. time. But you don't you don't control how it turns out, but it's you do craft, impact you how it control. turns out. But yeah. it's like Yeah, if I think of it as art, then I find it easier to do. When it's exhausting art that you don't control yes right it's 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 art that you contribute to but are not in charge of I, I like that i like that well yeah sam i'll i'll send you the link offline but she's drsamrader.com i think 
thank you, old digger. We have her on my on my podcast in a way that I never expected because we have this like how to shape your communities, right? How to citizen is is the thing, and our season's upcoming in this mid February, and will we close it with Dr. Sam? And it's oh. like how to citizen inside yourself, you know, how to build a relationship with yourself, how to show up for yourself, uh, how to understand the power you have within, and that everything we do internally is reflected externally, uh, yeah. which goes back to that traumatic interpretation of you know European racialized dominance, right? There is like some internal stuff going on in these really hurt people that just got like amplified on a mega scale uh, across the whole planet. And we as a species are kind of doing that in, the, in a climate sense. So there's a lot of technologies we can apply. It's going to help out a lot of situations. But if we don't like, fix kind of our inner workings, we'll just replicate at scale, you know, some of these you know, unresolved things. Yeah, one of the one of the things if 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 my baby's having a tantrum or crying, she's not quite yeah. at tantrum phase, but he's upset, um, won't go to sleep, whatever it is. The most effective thing I have found is if she's on my chest, just to take a few deep breaths. Mm. As I feel myself getting more and more agitated, like, why won't you stop crying? Why won't you go to sleep? Actually, the, the quickest way to calm her down is for me to take a few deep breaths. For you to calm down. Yeah. So are you saying, Alice, you are being the change you want to see in your I, baby? I'm being the change <laughs> I want to see in my baby. Well, maybe I think that might be the angle that I have to take in my show yeah. is that, that parenting is as much about time travel as anything else. You go back and you see your own childhood and you reflect on mm. your own childhood and you start to fill those holes or ideally your parents have a, given you enough equipment that you can go back and fill the holes that they left in you. Or, or but if not, then there's YouTube and there's a lot of, a lot of good tips out there. That so. you build yourself and then that you build, yeah. you build the people around you as much as that, that yeah. maybe parenting is about everyone as well, that being mm -hmm. a good friend or being a good partner or, or being a good citizen. Well, that's the thing, you know, your image of painting on water will never leave me. We're all contributing to that painting. Yes. You know, you as, as a parent are closer to the water. You're there more frequently. Uh, you might have a pretty wide palette of brushes and colors, but there's also like some dude 50 meters down who's occasionally just like dumping glitter in the water, right? <laughs> and there's someone upstream who's also adding something to the water. And, and your kid and all kids, all, all of our kids are the water. Yes. We're actually the water too, right? So it's, it folds in on itself. And so you, you have influence. You don't have control. And this is like the biggest participatory art project, you know, is, is bringing a human being up. Yeah. And being, and being kind to each other and, yeah. and that it isn't, an individual being a parent is not an individualized identity. Mm -mm. It's it's something broader than that. I think the image that I get is when I was probably twenty three. I was on a train, and there was a woman on the train with a baby. It was in that part of the train where you're facing each other, kind of the entry. Yeah, the doors are yeah. there, and you're facing each other. It's and she was trying to feed this baby, maybe the age that my kid is now, fifteen months. And I was watching this process and I looked up and there were maybe 13 other people in this carriage 
everyone was looking at this woman feeding the baby and everyone was going like this with their mouths. Um, um, um. Oh, that's so cute. Just this bunch of strangers all invested yeah. in encouraging this baby to eat this piece of mashed up banana or whatever it was. And I just thought that is so nice and right mm-hmm. and, and ridiculous and ridiculous <laughs> and human and yes. it made me really happy and i i yeah i don't i that's i come back to that memory fairly often that's a good memory to come back to that's those those folks were citizening there was it was the whole it takes a village and even <laughs> for a moment we were like we're going to get this kid to eat yeah this everyone is, we are invested now in your child. Everywhere that baby looked, someone was like, eat the banana, kid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where can people find you and support you? You're listening to a great podcast. So in the same app, go find How to Citizen with Baratunde. It's got a big picture of me. And uh, subscribe to that. Our fourth season launches Feb 16, 2023. And we're dealing with how do you create a culture of democracy? Get quality soil, we can grow quality things. Uh, instead of just focusing on the top. Um, A lot of good stuff in there. I'm Baratunde, B-A-R-A-T-U-N-D-E. I'm on all the social platforms as simply Baratunde. They even have an old school website, baratunde.com. And I'm up to all kinds of things, but we can get into those details later. Uh, If you're in the U.S., check out America Outdoors on PBS. And if you're overseas, uh, get a VPN and check out America Outdoors on PBS. (laughs) Thank you so much for having tea with me. Thank you. Oh, and one last thing. I, I sent you um, a, the, ver- the full version of my Harry and Meghan article in Puck. <sighs> Excellent. So I can give you a link if your listeners want to click on that themselves. It is a subscription service, so you might have to pony up something. I'm offering it to Alice because she offered me tea. Thank you so much, Alice. It's good to see you again. Congratulations on your life and the lives you are helping create. Thank you. Oh, do you know her or do you not? This top is mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers hide every frame. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle doll.